0: Hello, and welcome to episode 56, John 8, A Clash of Kings. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. You know me from the internet as Lies Arbor on Twitter, Tumblr, and LiesandArborGold.com.
1: And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. You might know me as Glass Table Girl over on Reddit, on the Maester Monthly podcast, a pseudo monthly podcast, and as <laughs> Arithmetric over on Twitter. Wow, you're just calling you guys out like that. No, someone else called us out, and I just want to remind everyone we are pseudo-monthly. We made no promises. (laughs) Uh, Where we make promises.
0: Like, we make and keep our promises. We are going to be presenting to you part four of the Dance of the Dragons, which does focus on kind of the aftermath of the dance, including the Hour of the Wolf. A lot of people might be excited about that with the... uh, End of Game of Thrones with the Starks going south. So stay
1: tuned for that. Check it out on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Canon. Yep, and that'll be up soon after this episode sometime by this June. <laughs> <laughs> sometime, you know, before July. <laughs> yep, yeah, that is that is how yeah. these episodes work. Yeah. And speaking of Patreon, we also have a stretch goal. It is our A Feast... For Feasts, in which Chloe and I host a cooking show while talking about a feast for crows. We thought that this was a great idea. And if you would like to see us do it,
0: we are going to feast for feasts, talk about why we like a feast for crows and talk about our favorite bits and also eat and make food. If you ever have wanted to see your two mothers cook together, we've never cooked together. We actually haven't. So this could be horrible. This could be awful.
1: That's true. Or it could be great. It could be interesting. I mean, I think both you and I like to cook, and we both love food. But of course, I mean, yeah. you know, being in the kitchen, it's it's a different thing, right? Yeah, it's an intense environment.
0: You might just, you know, slay someone you thought was your brother.
1: Wow. I was going Thank for you. the catchy hit earworm, too many cooks, too many cooks. In the kitchen?
0: You, you- I was thinking that actually at first, but then I was like, how can I tie this in with John 8 in A Clash of Kings? Oh, well, that's one way. Which is, yeah. <laughs> one way or another, I'm gonna stab you. I'm gonna- Wow. Get you, get you, I'm wow. sorry, I don't
1: know where this is coming from. Uh, everyone, please don't help us reach the stretch goal, Chloe's gonna kill me.
0: <laughs> Ooh, I do get to use knives. Um, hey, speaking of knives and killing and- other stuff. Eliana, you were recently on an episode of Not a Cast Podcast, the one true, chapter by chapter, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. You make it sound like- Hosted by poor Quentin and Brenda B. Fish. You make- They say that. That's
1: what they <laughs> that say. That is what they say. You make it sound like I killed them. <laughs> you make it sound like I went in there and I reversed Red night Benign- Like, I went in there, right, and I was a brother of the Night's Watch, and they were Craster Damn. And J.R. Mormont, who I'm going to throw this opinion out there, everyone. J.R. Mormont would want you to drink out of his skull. Oh my god, this is in I've made I... Chloe listen to this spiel of mine. <laughs> J.R. Mormont wants you to drink out of his skull. He's a master mixologist. I think that is an appropriate way to honor him, but it has to be a fancy drink. So like goth daddy. Yeah, I think that's what he wants. Jayor Morma is a goth bear daddy. Ooh. Yeah. Um, I realize I haven't talked about this episode, so I went on not a cast. <laughs> I guess so on not a cast. I'm gonna leave all that in <laughs> and oh and uh discuss with them. Daenerys nine in A Game of Thrones, which is, of course, since this is a re we're just going to tell you what happens. The one where Daenerys finds that um, only death can pay for life, but what is life worth when all the rest is gone? And thus, you know, she ends up having to smother her husband and uh, tying it into Danny's arc as a Shakespearean tragic hero. Um, I wrote a thesis on it if you want to go check it out. <laughs> She'll never stop. <laughs> She will never log off. Uh, yeah,
0: it, it's a it's an interesting chapter because Danny has to kill someone that she not only loves but kind of respects. Right? Uh, she's grown to love this person and she's grown to really respect them as a leader. Mm-hmm. And it's a good chapter as we read John. And half Halfhand, of course, in John 8.
1: Yes. I
0: uh, I have listened to part of the episode. I have not gotten to finish. My drive for work is not long enough for me to finish an episode of Nauticast podcast. <laughs> so it's important that there's like a trademark next to There that. really is.
1: If you can trademark Noticast like, podcast. selections it, It's almost yeah. wrong not to say it that way.
0: It's kind of fun. I understand
1: why they do yeah. it.
0: Hey, this week we had an awesome tweet from our friend Vanessa Cole over at Nightscast uh, at VK Cole Artist. She's an amazing artist. Not only do we love discussing A Song of Ice and Fire with Vanessa, but I love looking at her pieces of art that she creates. And this egret piece is beautiful. It uh, has these gorgeous kissed by fire curls, and I love the eyes. It's very intense. It's a great piece of art. Check it out over at her Twitter. Like I said, VK Cole Artist, and please check out a lot of her other art. She just put out this awesome uh, Dire Wolf with the Northern Crown piece, and it's fully colored. It's really pretty. I just retweeted it a bit ago on my Twitter, so check it out.
1: You guys may like it. Also just retweeted it. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's inspired by rob and it's very metal you know with the blood dripping through the crown it's it's really great
0: yeah she posted it with a cattle and quote the cattle and could hear gray wind howling half a castle away he smells the blood she thought through stone walls and wooden doors through night and rain he still knows the scent of death and ruin same mm,
1: i can't wait for cat <laughs> chapters someday oh my god someday someday <laughs> everything someday uh, we all got another piece of fan art. Thank you, everyone. I'm so glad people have actually took us up on this and are sending us fan art it's now. nice. Maester Mary slipped into my DMs and sent me a picture that she made of a little chibi, uh, Jon Snow, with a beanie baby, also adorable, Rhaegal. And there's a little heart between them. I think that's yeah. supposed to be Rhaegal, right? I don't know. It could be whatever you want it to be. Yeah it's it's beautiful it's beautiful it's, adorable. it's cute yeah and we'll see if we can share this with all of you it's great give up the dragon mary <laughs> give it up yeah and thank you to both vanessa and mary for sending these we're gonna come back to actually some insights that they've had and shared with people over the internet later on this episode and we got an awesome
0: email from our friend Alexandra. She sent us a quick message and said that she's currently re-listening to the Sansa chapters because she's feeling nostalgic about being a tween girl and it's hard. I agree. Yep. She says every emotion is the most intense and overwhelming thing, and you make dumb decisions. Absolutely. Everything is so exhausting. Uh, but she did also want to chime in about fake Aegon when we were talking about him a couple weeks ago and how to Daenerys, his true identity will always be a mystery. Uh, she says it reminds her of the story of two princes in the Tower of London, King Richard III may or may not have killed. There was an imposter pretending to be the younger prince, also Richard, in the time of King Henry VII's reign. Whether or not he was a lost prince didn't matter. The fact that powerful political parties were what was willing to back him, that was the important part. I love that historical parallel. Absolutely.
1: And you know, of course, the Song of Ice and Fire is very much inspired by The War of the Roses, so definitely think this is something that George is playing with. So, again, awesome, awesome catch, Alexandra. And I think, uh, I don't know. I, th- I definitely think that this is something that we're gonna see, of course, when it comes to Fagon, who is in this extended version of the story in the books.
0: Yeah. We have a pretty long lightning round. We might want to call it a thunderstorm. It really is. It's just like, it's a little long. It's the end of Clash. We're going through the Blackwater, which you might remember us doing 172,000 hours of the Blackwater with Sansa. Uh, But we are going to give you some brief summaries of what happened during these kind of end chapters in A Clash of Kings. We are uh, hitting the very last chapter after John. John 8 is the second to last chapter in A Clash of Kings. So this is very big.
1: Very big. Tyrion, 12. Tyrion brings word of the Stark boy's demise to Cersei, who later repays his gift in a tenfold Cersei way, by beating Alayaya in front of him. Rude. Catelyn, 7. Catelyn gets Jaime drunk and then calls for Brienne's sword. Theon, 5. Asha begs her brother to forsake his folly, but he refuses to leave his newly acquired seat.
0: Sansa 5. Sansa awaits her fate at the Blackwater in Magor's holdfast.
1: Davos 3. Davos's fear of a chain boom on the Blackwater becomes real. Tyrion 13. Watching the fleet's blaze, Sandor
0: Clegane breaks in battle, leaving Tyrion to lead the sortie. <laughs>
1: Sansa 6. Aww. I miss these chapters so much. Aww. Queen Cersei fears the city's fall and Sansa learns why Illin Payne is the only man in Maker's Holdfast with the Highborn Ladies Tyrion 14 Podrick
0: Payne saves Tyrion from being cut down by his fellow and more <laughs>
1: on the battlefield. Did you like that? Because that was for you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I did like it. I really <laughs> did. Sansa 7. Sandra Clegane tries to spirit Sansa away but she declines a ride. <laughs> Chloe wrote these. He demands a song, <laughs> and later the battle is won. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. What uh Daenerys 5. They depart from Karth, and Danny receives a very nice and poisoned scarab. But thankfully,
1: Arstan and Belwas are there to save the day. Arya 10. Arya learns of her brother's death, and Roose Bolton begins to plan Rob's demise, unbeknownst to her, or pretty much anyone else and Company kill the guards and escape!
0: Sansa 8. Sansa Stark is set aside and she finds a chance at escape.
1: Theon 6. Theon is betrayed by Reek!
0: <sighs> Tyrion 15. Tyrion assesses his battle damage.
1: And that brings us to John 8. As the weather worsens, Corin makes the men recant their vows. Later that night, Corrin takes John aside, ordering him to yield when they are taken by the Wildlings, and not to balk. Yeah. He promises to tell. He promises to tell Jor that John did his duty. But when the Wildlings are upon them, they offer John mercy, but first force him to kill Corrin. John knows that the end has
0: come near when Corrin finally permits a fire. I love that this chapter throws you in the middle of it, just like Ned and Sansa chapters. It's conveying time has passed and time is passing. A lot of it is very between the lines. Some of it is a flashback, some of it's a memory, and some of it is current. Uh, the whole chapter is kind of
1: accented with Jon thinking, today is the day I die. Not today. Only your innocence, Jon. <laughs> John fetches wood for the first time at uh, Corrin's request. It will feel
0: good to feel warm again, if only for a little while he told himself, while he hacked bare branches from the trunk of a dead tree. Ghost sat on his haunches, watching, silent as ever. Will he howl for me when I'm dead, as Bronze Wolf howled when he fell, John wondered. Will Shaggy Dog howl far off in Winterfell, and Grey Wind in Nemaria, wherever they might be? Aw You're welcome.
1: Thank you. We don't hear I guess ghost howl when John dies but we do hear a ghost howl at other times that might be close in close in proximity in the veil in Sansa's arc when you hear the
0: the ice wolf the lone ghost wolf howling in the mountains.
1: Yeah, and there's that also. There's also that moment in that Danny chapter that's close by uh in Ow. dance where she I believe also thinks that she hears a wolf howling. Ow! Oh. After he lights the fire. Wow, I really tried to make that work. That didn't work. After he lights the fire, Kord says, As shy as a maid on her wedding night, the big ranger said in a soft voice. A near as fair. Sometimes a man forgets how pretty a fire can be. And of course, like, in a moment we have Egrid who's kissed by fire, but, like, something about this language kind of reminds me of Daenerys, too. You know, she's, like, a... F- dragon which is a fire made flesh she's a pretty shy i guess on her wedding night but like that that's kind of gross we're gonna quickly move on she's fair in that she's very pale very fair hair and of course she's considered by many to be pretty in the way that a fire is and she would i think she she warms john for a spell before bringing on doom
0: it also reminds me of the song of all the maids, mm. right? I loved a maid as fair as summer, the yes. seasons of my love. And I think that each of these girls really does have a place there. Maybe Daenerys is the maid of winter. Egrid uh, is, of course, I-, I would guess the maid is, you know, red as autumn.
1: Yes, I think that's a great, great connection. Um, there's been a lot of great discussion also about that song and John's storyline and Maybe we'll get there. Maybe we'll talk about that one day. But not today. That
0: was uh that was off the cuff.
1: It was great. Just like uh off the cuff, unlike Corin Half-Hand's plans for John. Oh
0: my god. Or
1: like Corrin's hand.
0: Wow! Uh, so John wonders if Corrin had ever loved a woman, and he also wonders if a kiss had ever felt as good as the fire right now on his hands i'm like john i don't know i don't think you
1: can actually judge if a kiss has ever felt so good as this fire you have literally
0: (laughs) barely had any physical contact in your life orphan boy yeah you sad small
1: boy he ran away from the other girl right i'm like sam (laughs) sam's got game yeah Yeah. (laughs) sam's out there like please love me (laughs) it's all i have (laughs) no they're like Uh, okay same asking you shall receive Right? That's Sam, I guess. Of the five rangers, only he and Corin are still left here. And then we get that sort of flashback of how John had hoped for Squire Dalbridge to make it. But a horn blast killed that dream. The eagle grew closer and closer all this time. The eagle is like this recurring
0: background noise, really. Halfhand sent Ebon, Egbin, back to Mormont. And Stone Snake went as well to obscure their tracks, but he returned to camp. Eben had suggested sending John instead of him, as John's still a boy. But Corrin believes that John has a different role to play, and I really loved the passage here. Just how it goes, he is half a boy still. No, said Corrin. He is a man of the Night's Watch. I I like just how he says, "No, John has a different role." Mm. John, like John, he knew that John had a chance at assimilating, mm. where none of them did. Corrin, halfhand, he's a legend. He would never assimilate. Eben, do you think Eben would be able to assimilate into the Wildlings? John has the true north in him. Mm,
1: I think that's interesting. And it shows that Corrin Halfhand knows his men. He knows that they each have a role to play, and he knows what role to cast them, as he was talking about in the last chapter. Interestingly enough, John even learns
0: that, even with the Wildlings, after his time with the Free Folk. Hmm. Later on in the fifth book, in A Dance with Dragons, he tells Stannis, you know, this is the strength of this wildling leader. This is the strength of this man. Uh, John. in his time with the Free Folk, he
1: really learns all of that, you know, know your men, like Eddard always preached. For him to internalize both of those lessons from Corin and Ned... Shows, of course, that he's learning. He's starting to understand what it means to be a leader. Obviously, there's a lot of failings, and it turns out the stakes are very, very high when you're a 16 year old boy and Lord Commander <laughs> the Night's Watch. But you know, whatever. I mean, he's just, you know, Rob, but better, I guess. Here,
0: I mean, he's making harder decisions, in my opinion. I guess that's not all completely true, but at the same time, how do you judge the weight of that against itself with war? Um, I digress. Every single morning that they wake, the eagle is there and it is watching them.
1: Yeah, like you said, it's a background noise on these chapters for John now. It replaces actually the looming red comet in the sky. Like, instead of having that bright red symbol of hope, we have this fucking bird and it's this... It instills this feeling of dread and anxiety and of being watched. For these Night's Watchmen, oh, they have become the watched. And it gives John's story he- here that horror movie feel—the dread of an inescapable situation. Do you like how it just breezed past? I was like, "Ooh, I just had an epiphany." Oh my god! <laughs> had a galaxy brain moment right there. <laughs>
0: It does become like birds, though, right? Like, this is some Hitchcock shit. This is Uh like, they're waking, and it's getting colder, and it's a nightmare. It's a waking nightmare. It's also interesting that the eagle, like you said, it's not a symbol of hope. It's dread and anxiety, and where they usually have the crows you know, joining around them and just cawing crow, and usually it's Blood Raven and Bran's watchful eye. It's no longer them, it's someone else watching, someone they don't know. It's not the same comfort level as Blood Raven and Bran on Jor's shoulder, you know? corn mm-hmm. Uh Corin Ha! Corin. Uh the men that are parting from camp so Stonesnake and Ebon going opposite directions, kind of. It reminds me of Danny sending hmm. her Blood Riders out for Karth.
1: Yes, but Corrin kind of hopes that they don't come back and that they make it. Yeah. And then Danny's like, please do come back. That'd be really great. Tell us something. Yeah, one's in the snow, one's in the desert. Both places suck. A shadow cat also startles Stone Snake's mare, which ended up breaking her leg. And that led to Ghost at least having an awesome meal. They tried putting some horse blood in their porridge, and apparently that was gross. I think that they did it wrong.
0: So, I don't know. I've always, like, I go to hot pot a lot. It's my new favorite thing lately. It's so good. It's just, like, the best meal, right? Like, you could just do anything. And there's a really good all-you-can-eat-one near me that I'm going to make you go to sometime. And I always think about getting the pig blood. I always think about it. Mm. But I also think, like, maybe I'm not... Ready? I don't know. Like, I like the bloody, meaty, like, taste of it. That mercurial
1: kind of taste. I'm into that. You actually like that? Yeah. Huh. That is really weird. what I don't like about the taste of (laughs) blood. And that's why I always have a really hard time whenever, like, my lip cracks. I'm like, ugh, I hate this taste. Because Mm -hmm. it tastes so, like, like you said, like, mercury or, like, metallic. It's obviously the iron in our blood. um, So maybe I'm just healthy. Who knows? But... I don't like that taste yet I do like foods that are made up of blood but like that metallic taste is mm-hmm. why I'm not into a lot of different preparations of liver unless like that taste is gone but like there are things that have blood like right like blood sausage I'm fine with that or or there's yeah. this traditional Filipino food called like dinuguan which basically means it's been blood into and it's a mm. stew right where you stew pig I think in blood and we eat it with like rice cakes and it's good but it doesn't taste metallic so i i think it's all in the preparation in that i guess you don't really have that many options out in the wilderness of the desert when an (laughs) eagle and shadow cats are hunting you whatevs but at the same time they did it wrong when you have become the (laughs) watch yeah this is chopped this is (laughs) this is chopped and they failed it's like a chopped versus survivor yeah but corn gets chopped at the end. Oh my god, he already was chopped. Oh my Eliana. god, wow! Wow! <laughs> okay. Uh,
0: it's not like I'm talking about Jamie. Settle down.
1: No, I uh, no, I'm excited. <laughs> this is what this is what our cooking show, a feast for feast, is gonna be like, everyone. Two cooks chop. Two cooks enter, one one exits.
0: So they take some of the meat, uh, they strip down the meat, and they chew on the meat on the ride for nutrients and such and sustenance, I guess, and just, you know, overall life. And it just occurred to me John, while this chapter, he he spends it thinking, you know, like, I don't want to betray. I don't want to go over to the other side. I don't want to do this. I don't want to. He slowly falls into his northern kind of wild side. He's, like, chewing meat without saying anything about it. He doesn't balk oh. at that. <laughs> <laughs> he he doesn't like the blood porridge obviously but he does eat it and shut up he like shuts up and eats his porridge i don't know the real north like i said is <laughs> totally in him and he kind of resigns himself to this as he goes even though he doesn't want to
1: yeah much like ned oh wow yeah his duty to eat this porridge <laughs> stone snake also offered to pull a squire when they were in this situation since they can't both ride double like on on a horse but rather than that Corrin orders him to try to make for the fist to tell mormont what they saw and he's like you can do that a horse i believe in you
0: he has no chance john thought when he watched stone snake vanish over a snow-covered ridge a tiny black bug crawling across a rippling expanse of white last time we see him so what if he's cold hands? I'm just saying, like, that would be so anticlimactic. But what if? Oh. I guess the whole like dead for a bajillion years thing that Leaf says, but I mean Whatever. Never know. It could it could be fun. It's probably just gonna be like first man number seven at this <laughs> point.
1: I mean, I'm down to that. I'm down to that. I just think the idea of a snack with hands is funny. No, agree. Also it's like
0: also, maybe not everything has to be something. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: I'm just putting that out there. Even though I'm a podcaster, I'm allowed wow. to say that sometimes. I know. Wow. I'm giving away the podcast secret. Sorry. Sometimes things are just what they are.
1: But you know what? This also is, if not that, John. He has no chance. No chance and no choice. Kinda. That's kind I mean, of he really his. is given no choice here. Yeah, I mean, he did have the other choice, but the other choice kind of sucked, too. Both of the choices sucked. So, anyway. Die or live. Yeah, it, he's basically just deciding, do you want to die here or over there? All right. Yep. And then after, after Stone Snake's gone, you know, it feels a lot colder and lonelier, probably because there's only two of them left, and sometimes they just walk for days in silence. It's a lot. And up here, John doesn't dream. Which I think is interesting with your language earlier of how this is a waking nightmare. That's it.
0: Yeah, it, it is. It's a waking nightmare. I mean, every second of this sucks. It's cold. It's awful. They think they're going to die any moment. They have no food. They're just like hunting here and they're on accident. <laughs> um, we get that passage and there's a lot of connection with him and his siblings here in this entire chapter. But when he slept, he did not dream, not of wolves, nor his brothers or anything. Even dreams cannot live up here, he told himself. And it makes me wonder if this whole chapter of him being so far north, you know, so far away from his pack, besides Bran, who just opened his eye, uh, maybe it's too far for wolf dreams alone, right? It has a similar magic connection, maybe with Silverwing not wanting to go north of the wall with Queen Alysanne mounted atop it. Bran has different and more developed powers than his siblings. Yes, he's awakened John's third eye, but maybe once you get far enough, that magic doesn't quite work without an extra shot of something like Jojin paste or some blood sacrifice or, you know.
1: Yeah, it's either it's too far and thus the magic doesn't work, or it's like, I don't know, the others are using some weird suppressant or something.
0: It also is interesting because they haven't talked about Weirwoods. In this chapter, mm. so I'm wondering if maybe there aren't as many weirwoods out here, so there's less to see.
1: Yeah, and I mean, if the weirwoods are part of what connects them to those kinds of wolf dreams, of course, those were dreams. Though, I mean, like the guys, fu- there's a guy fucking living in his eagle, so something something works in terms of the magic, right? Yeah, the weirwoods. I guess the children of the forest chose not to plant them up here, which would make it harder. To extend yeah. that Wi-Fi connection. <laughs> By the fire, Corrin makes John recite their vows together with him. John opened and closed his burnt fingers, holding tight to the words in his mind, praying that his father's gods would give him the strength to die bravely when his hour came. It would not be long now. This reminds me of Ned in his time in the
0: Black Cells, especially when he starts thinking of Liana, and he's just like, oh gods, I'm going mad.
1: Mmm, it's like that only john actually has a few more years it's not that long but it's not that short john (laughs) pick one it's oh my god well i mean in the longer scheme of things and other ways that his life could have gone you know he didn't have he dies pretty soon but also it's not today like he thinks it is are you
0: gonna say not today one more time in this podcast i could
1: i could if you do it one more time, I'm firing you. <laughs> I want to call out right now a tweet from Jolene A, called A.K. at Our Galaxies. She tweeted us a video of Lena Headey having a humorous moment, and she goes, "See this? That face that Lena Headey has the- at the end—that's the exact face girls gone cannon pull at each other over Skype while trying to record an episode that keeps getting derailed by top-quality quips and puns." And that is today's episode. We have been jinxed by Jolene. I don't
0: appreciate you, Joe, because it's like you're insinuating we get derailed and I just don't agree. We would never. I think this is part of the rail. Yes. Are we on the rail? Are we off the rail? No one knows. (sighs) I'm getting back on the rail. Corin thinks all the fires will go out should the wall fall. I love that. It just reminds me of, you know, zombies. It's it's. The bigger thing, the bigger picture, you know, Taiwan has that shitty line, you know, what's, uh, you know, a wedding party? What's killing a wedding party against the whole entire realm and all this war? But Corrin's like, it's worth it if we die, if it means we protected the wall, because all these fires will go out. All these
1: people are going to die. It's a recurring thing that comes up throughout A Song of Ice and Fire, right? Like... What's killing a dozen men at dinner, as opposed to a thousand in battle? And that's kind of similar, you know, that's, that's the corollary to Stannis's. Like, what is one bastard boy's life against the realm? But here
0: in the North, they, you know, life is so preserved because once you've battled the others, every single life has meaning.
1: Wait, I'm gonna throw this out there. What if all of this and I was gonna throw this out earlier later on but I'm gonna throw it out here also because they're zombies what if it means that their death also has meaning not just their life? is this is this the rebuttal to that? Oh no it's not. It's not the rebuttal <laughs> are you sure that? it's not? yes okay anyway speaking of death Corin tells John that uh, what happens to them may not be so easy as death. Because only Corn's trying to get out of this crazy train that we call life. Because... i <laughs> <laughs> to die to get out! <laughs> <laughs> Cersei was wrong in, like, Game of Thrones where she tells Ned, uh, in the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. There is no middle ground. But again, there is. And per a Twitter discussion today between Bookshelf Sud and Maester Mary, sometimes living is the hard choice. And that's what John's gonna have to do in the next yeah. book.
0: So, Corin tells John that no, they will yield when the wildlings come upon them, and Corin commands him to yield, that his honor as a man of the Night's Watch demands it of him. Then hear me. If we are taken, you will go over to them, as the wildling girl you captured once urged you. They may demand that you cut your cloak to ribbons, that you swear them an oath on your father's grave, that you curse your brothers and your lord commander... You must not balk, whichever is asked of you. Do as they bid you, but in your heart, remember who and what you are. Ride with them, eat with them, fight with them, for as long as it takes, and watch.
1: Yes. It's- it's- he doesn't really tell John what they're gonna ask of him. He's like, yeah, all these things- these- fucking cutting your cloaks- Wearing an oath on your father's grave, cursing your brothers and your Lord Commander. These are all very paltry compared to what actually happens, okay? Yeah. Gotta warn- well, I guess there's a reason you didn't warn him. Of course, he's referencing Mance, who was once his brother,
0: you know, with the cut your cloak to ribbons, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Absolutely. And all of that, like you said, is all folly. Like, that's silly compared to what they're about to ask John to do. That's nothing.
1: Yeah. Like, what they're going to. Yeah, it- and i mean like Corin's like but you gotta do it because john has to learn what they're doing and like what they've been seeking why are they digging all these holes
0: i'll do as you say john said reluctantly but you will tell them won't you the old bear at least you'll tell him that
1: i never broke my oath corin halfhand gazed at him across the fire his eyes lost in pools of shadow when i see him next i swear it he gestured at the fire More wood. I want it bright and hot.
0: Talk about a blaze of glory, right? (laughs) Going out (laughs) in one. For sure. It's literally him going out in a blaze of glory. Mm. He's lighting that fire, giving away their position. Yeah. Bringing the wildlings upon them. I love the line, but in your heart remember who and what you are. And then I also love how this conversation at the end almost exactly mirrors Something we've heard once before in a Game of Thrones from uttered 9. And tell him I've not been with no one else, I swear it, my lord, by the old gods and the new. So you'll tell him I'm waiting, won't you? I don't want no jewels or nothing, just him. He was always good to me, truly. I will tell them, child, and I promise you, Bera shall not go wanting. Aww. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of that passage, and it also reminds me of, of course, another part of A Game of Thrones. We'll talk about your mother when I return, John. They're not returning, John.
1: They're not. And I mean, you can see how much John, like with Ned, cares about what Jerome Mormon thinks about him, because he's like, you'll tell him that I didn't actually break my oath, right? Because he wants his new daddy figure to, <laughs> to know about how he kept his oaths. Uh, I think. Another quote that actually this reminded me of was in Daenerys's story, in Danny 10, in A Dance with Dragons, where Quaithe appears to her in the wilderness and goes, Remember who you are, Daenerys, the stars whispered in a woman's voice. The dragons know. Do you? I love that. A, I love that motherfucking passage. Can I just say
0: that right now? Is that something I'm allowed to say? It's an amazing chapter. Dude, that whole chapter is good. So John feeds more wood to the fires, and each stick comes alive like a dancer. Corrin says that they will now ride, that the fire ought to draw them past. As they ride, John hopes Corrin has a good plan, but also thinks he doesn't want to play Oathbreaker in this plan. They stick close to the cliffs, and they seem to reach a dead end, but they go through the waterfall. Which is cold, by the way. Like yeah, freezing it's cold. very
1: cold. I'm pretty sure I saw something similar in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Unsure. I think I saw it in Mulan. I don't think they did that in Mulan, did they? I don't think so. No. No, know. they don't. You're the expert. They really don't.
0: So Ghost enters this cave and he pees. And we get this line, I never paid attention to it much until this reread. The air was full of mist, like the breath of some vast cold beast. Okay, first thing. Bran and Bloodraven? Mist? Yes. If it's mist, are they there after all? It's not just the eagle. You know, Bran and Bloodraven so are also watching. And also,
1: is this an ice dragon reference? I'm not sure we get an ice dragon. and But maybe it is. Though I'm also going to say, like, when we say cold beast, because technically a cold beast wouldn't breathe the hot air that would make a mist, right? It's got to be a slightly warm you beast. Know. Well, that's that's how... I mean, I guess it's magic. Fuck science. Are you an ice dragon scientist now? Yeah, who are you? (gasps)
0: Uh, Don't ruin this for me, Eliana. Yes. (laughs) I love the story that he tells Jon, as he's, you know, like, ready to die. Uh, Corrin is like, When I was no older than you, I heard a brother tell how he followed a shadow cat through these falls. He unsaddled his horse, removed her bit and bridle, and ran his fingers through her shaggy mane. There's a way through the heart of the mountain. Come dawn, if they have not found us, we will press on. The first watch is mine, brother. Okay, so one question. This story is about Mance, right? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Because in the next chapter, we'll be reading, we'll mention this again, but we learn Mance was injured by a shadow cat beyond the wall, they took him to a wildling village where they knew an old woman who was a healer. The woman was at- actually dead, but her daughter attended him until he was strong enough to ride. The daughter mends his cloak with some red, you know, and that's why you get that red black cloak when you meet Mance. And when he comes back to the wall, they won't let him in because on Wednesdays they wear black. And on every day. <laughs> Anyways, he's like, fine, fuck you. And he goes north of the wall and he stays with that woman who is Dalla. We come to find out later on because he knocks her up and they're in love and all that shit. And that's his queen, quote unquote. Uh, And that's why he gets out of his vows, even though he's basically like a traitor. I don't know. But I wonder also if it's foreshadowing that getting out of your vows, like that's like he's escaping it. But hard mode would be like dying to get out. Like if Mance decides to get out and they aren't actively really killing him, John can die and get out. I mean,
1: he can die. I mean... And I know you're going to argue with me, and I look forward to it. (gasps) I just don't think that it's necessarily Mance getting out of his vows. Like, I do think that they're trying to execute him if they came across him. They've just, like, kind of failed and sucked. Like, they're trying to find him right now to kill him and stop him. And I think that's the point for me. Like, Mance broke his vows. And I I do think that's part of what's interesting in John's story, because it's exploring how sometimes it's easier to keep your vows, and sometimes it's... Easier to break them, depending on who you are as a person, depending on the different circumstances. It's easier to break the vows, right? It's harder to keep them. And that's why he keeps getting tempted. For Mance, I don't know, maybe it was easier to keep his vows and breaking them was the hard choice for him because now he's got to live up here, north of the wall, try and gather all these wildlings and like, I don't know, break the wall. Seems pretty fucking hard. Depends for everyone. Y'all, look, I'm just saying when you look at Mance,
0: this is what you see. I see a man who didn't, like, agree with their moral philosophies and codes, oh my god. Man. When
1: I see John, I see a guy who agreed with a lot of the moral philosophies and codes.
0: But I was talking about man, I don't Oops. care about John. Uh-huh. <laughs> Who's John? So John falls asleep, and he thinks about Corrin's warnings. They manifest in his sleep about fires should the wall fall again. And he dreams once again. But instead, the flames manifest into a nightmare because he dreams of burning castles Mm. and dead men rising unquiet from their graves. I don't know if I should, you know, like take a gander at the first half of that dream. But is that Winterfell? I think so. I would say so. Since, you know, at the same time, Winterfell is a light.
1: Oh, you mean right now in the story, he's dreaming of Winterfell right now. Yes. I thought you meant like in the future when they have to fight. No oh, no no. Yeah. No, like right I now. mean yeah, and I mean the dead men rising in quiet from their graves because they've taken apart they've taken away the, the swords. Yeah. yeah. That's really beautiful. Thanks, George. <laughs> and then John wakes for his watch. When Corrin wakes up, he lights some of the torches that he made during his watch, because Corrin Half hands a very productive dude. And John thinks Alright, we did it. We went through this pass. We probably lost the eagle by now. But they get outside and nope! There it is. There's the fucking bird. It's still here, I know. (laughs) That's the worst. Because, like,
0: Corrin, like, knows these places. Like, the back of his hand, he's like, stay close to the wall, we'll lose them by going through this fucking hole in the wall that I know about. And there's some brambles and you clear them and you duck under and they'll never see you. And then somehow, the bird just follows them through
1: all of that. All of it throw this out there. Did Corden really think that he knew the lay of the land more than the people who lived there though? Probably. Most mediocre white men do. Oh my god. He was a mediocre though. He only had like three fingers. He's pretty ochre.
0: So I will revise that statement and I don't know. I mean, did he know the lay of the land and would he pretend he did? Of course he'd pretend he did. But also I like imagine emo oh. Corin like going out on his own for a raging, you know, like thinking about all the people he's lost and the shit he's done. And I do want to talk about his backstory a little bit later. Maybe not backstory, but just like backstory that never got to happen. Even.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so Corrin decides this is where we're going to make our last stand. He asks John if his sword is sharp. This is not the first time he's asked this during the chapter.
1: It's the second yeah, time. Yeah, because Korn's asking if John's sword is sharp because he's like, I really hope it is. This is going to make it a lot easier for me to die, both for me and for you and your your feelings. I mean, like as you said and pointed out earlier, he was feeding that fire. He was lighting it brighter and brighter, not just because he was signaling to everyone, "Hey, here's our position." Even though John was like, "Wow, this is a really nice change," but no. Corin was like, this is it. Everyone come get me. And in a way, that's Corrin symbolically lighting his own funeral pyre.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's putting himself to rest. He says that they'll feed the horses one last time. Because the horse is important too, of course. Uh, of course, a horse, of course. John feeds the horse and he pulls his gloves on tighter and he flexes his hand once more. Thinking, I am the shield that guards the realms of men. Corin tells John, Keep your wolf in hand, so John does. The wildlings begin to come over a ridge, and the eagle
1: triumphantly
0: crows upon a rock.
1: John counts 14 wildlings, and they are in wooden and leathern helms. They are archers, they have spears and moles. Corin drew his longsword, the tale of how he had taught himself to fight with his left hand after losing half of his right was part of his legend. It was said that he handled a blade better now than he ever had before. wonder if we'll see this with Jamie. I hope so. Or there's just, like, not a lot of time. Maybe with, like, a five-year gap, you know? No, I'm being very serious. I know, know, but it's just... (sighs) (sighs) So...
0: (laughs) The leader of the group parts the sea, riding a mount that is more goat
1: than horse as man and mount grew nearer john could hear them clattering both were armored in bones cow bones sheep bones the bones of goats and orcs and elk the great bones of the hairy mammoths and human bones as well hmm lots of bones no, wow, bones, no bones about, about it. it i have another question All right about about oh, the no. mount that rattleshirt rides is it is it a goat or is it a horse they say Hear that it's more goat than horse, and the wiki says a goat like horse, but especially with how well it rides on everything, is it? I just need to know: is it a goat or is it a horse? Is this a new Patreon tier? It. I'm not actually announcing anything. I'm just throwing the idea out there that this we could name it to your goat horse, goat like horse, more goat than horse. (laughs) So,
0: Corin calls him Rattleshirt, but. Rattleshirt corrects him. He prefers Lord of Bones when it comes to the Whatever. crows. Corin says he sees no lord, only a dog and chicken bones. Burn. No pun, because, you know, later, but burn.
1: Yes. Aw, Corin. It'll be your bones I'll be rattling soon, half-hand. I'll boil the flesh off you and make a birdie from your ribs. I'll carve your teeth and cast me runes and eat me oat and porridge from your skull. If
0: you want my bones, come get them. And to put a romantic spin on it, like in Brienne and Jamie's chapter, when, you know, if you want her, Hmm. go get her. If you want his bones, go get them. So he did.
1: Are you shipping Rattleshirt and Corin, half-hand?
0: Look, it's anyone's <laughs> game of thrones.
1: I, I'm gonna throw it out there that because George is so good at characterization, again, Jira Mormont would want you to drink out of his skull, I don't think Cor and Halfhand would want this. They're different people. Ugh. Different wants. <laughs> oh
0: my god. So, believe it or not, Rattleshirt's helm is a giant skull, and bear claws decorate his body hmm. up and down he has lots of bear claws. So I thought that was interesting, just his armor. He has a giant skull and he has bear claws up and down him and uh us just like John at this point in the book, we think J.R. Mormont's pretty much invis- invincible, you uh, know? So Yeah. Maybe this is like uh the bones of the old bear. Absolutely, cuz it's killing a legend. It's killing the core and half-hand who's been
1: built up in John's story so far. Yeah. And later on J.R. Mormont, but not by them, by his own men. A spear wife tells them that they are overrun. There's like 14 of us, alright, and there's only two of you. Because <laughs> she's trying to be really nice, too. She's like, look, yeah, idiots. Yeah, <laughs> and by look, idiots, she we mean she holds up Eben's bald egghead and goes, look, idiots. I got your dude. Damn, that kind of sucks, though. That That's not a funny moment. <laughs> but egg, ben, egg. rip, crack too soon. She does... St- <laughs> She does at least say that he died brave. And then Rattleshirt just has to like ruin it and be like, he died all the same. And once more, I pose the question, is this a counterpoint? Her saying that he died brave, as opposed to Rattleshirt saying he died all the same. Maybe this is a counterpoint to men's lives have meaning, not their deaths. Maybe sometimes it does matter.
0: John has that chosen prince kind of thing going on where Quentin's plot is all about learning. Hey, I, I guess I wasn't the chosen one.
1: And we'll talk a little bit about Quentin and John a bit in the outro. Aw, Quentin. The wildlings try to taunt John and Corin into making a misstep. And then they're like, eh, this is boring. They're not taking the bait. So they decide, oh, we'll just pierce them all with arrows. And then when they say that, John's like, no, I yield. <laughs> I yield. <laughs> and then Corrin turns on him real quick. He, go- he shames him and says, bastard blood is craven. And then John's face reddens and the wildlings say they don't need cravens and i mean everyone deserves an oscar in this moment yeah
0: everyone's playing their roles really well egret comes forth and she really sells it right she goes he ain't craven and he spared me and Rall's shirt's <coughs> like nah like crows are just I'll, weird yeah you know like every everyone's been trying to tap that egret you shouldn't <laughs> believe that. and so the eagle hovers overhead and apparently egret's like by the way That's one of the wildlings you killed, and he's living in his eagle now, which is just like normal. Like John's like, that's cool, I had a tree dream last chapter, so (laughs) a worm. worm. (laughs) John protests, he's like, Mance was supposed to take me, like that was a deal. And before Rattleshirt can have John killed, one of the spearwives is like, okay, let's give him a chance to prove himself. I'll do whatever you ask. The words came hard, but John said them. Battleshirt's bone armor clattered loudly as he laughed. They killed the half head bastard. As if he could,
1: said Corin. Turn, snow, and die. And just, wow. I got you. Wow, this chapter. Okay, this chapter's a great chapter. It's long. It's dense. A lot is happening here. But it's also full of double entendres, just like here. Turn, Snow and Die, turn is italicized, and Korn doesn't just mean face me when he says it, because again, italics. What he basically means is, John, become a turncloak. Turn, turn, see? Turn sides.
0: And that's the thing, he even says, and die, but he's saying, you die, like you disappear. No one knows what happened to John Snow north of the wall until John Snow reveals himself uh it's go into hiding you know go into espionage be a spy from the other side and the line's super melodramatic and some other people have pointed out like stephen addwell over at race for the iron throne uh this is very scottish Mm. play right it's the dramatics of shakespeare it's turn snow and die and it directly goes into this line And then Corrin's sword was coming at him, and somehow Longclaw leapt upward to block. You can hear the clang of steel on steel, you can hear the song in your ears, and all it takes is turn, Snow, and die, and you just
1: hear it. Yes, absolutely. And as you were saying, I I didn't think about that in terms of what was meant by and die, and... It ties back to a lesson from Maester Eamon much later in John's story, because you pulled that quote earlier of Ebon Snow- Stonesnake saying that John's just a boy, and Kornhafen being like, no, he's a man of the night's watch now. This is also another one of those kill the boy and let the man be born moments by killing the man and letting... The man be born. We're back here. We're back here. It's a loop. We closed it. Never mind. John remembers the half hands words not to balk, no matter what is asked of him as Corrin then comes for him. (laughs) Corrin is... Corrin apparently, though, is a beast when it comes to swordplay, obviously, and John's out here and he's sweating. And then Ghost has Corrin's calf in his mouth, and just as John thinks he misses... Then a string of red tears appeared
0: across the big man's throat, bright as a ruby necklace, and the blood gushed out of him, and Corin half-hand fell. Which is exactly a reference in the theory that is actually canon that Corin is Rhaegar. Wait, what? Is that
1: also what? a theory?
0: I'm sure it is. I just like to be a dumb bitch.
1: <laughs> I just like- <laughs> All the time, and I'm not gonna change. I mean, neither am I. That's, that's what we are. I know. I was thinking, like, the imagery- it just goes really well, right? Because you have that s-
0: bright, as, bright a as a ruby, ruby necklace. necklace,
1: a man garbed in black and black armor, especially because the House of the Undying scene shouldn't have happened too too long ago, and we get that same vision of a man dying and rubies flying from his chest. A man falling to yes. his knees, even. With a woman's name on his lips. Well, girls, whatever.
0: I love that Corin's last words are sharp. Yes. Those are his last words. He just says sharp, which is, of course, what he's been echoing through the chapter. Is your blade sharp, John?
1: Yeah. He's like, you did it. Good job, kid. <laughs> Kept the blade sharp. This is yeah. going to be great. This is going to be great for me.
0: So then John thinks, he knew, he thought numbly. He knew what they would ask of me. He thought of Samwell Tarly then, of Gren and Dolores Ed, of Pip and Toad back at Castle Black. Had he lost them all, as he had lost Bran and Rickon and Rob? Who was he now? What was he? Oh. So this little like passage, I think is pretty much what you can expect Ned would be thinking, as he rode for Starfall after the Tower mm. of Joy, after making those cairns of his men. He knew, he thought numbly, he knew what they would ask of me about Arthur Dane. Had he lost them all? You know, all of the men that went with him to the tower? Had he lost them all? As he had lost Leah and Brandon and his parents? Who was he now? What was he? It's the same thought Ned would have had after slaying Arthur Dane and riding for Starfall.
1: Yes, absolutely. And then, as John is pulled to his feet, Egret. Ygritte- Tells everyone, "Hey, this is Jon Snow, bastard Winterfell." He's chill, and Ragwile laughs about Corin <laughs> being killed by a lordling's by blow. And again, we have puns. Okay. This word "by blow" it's very interesting from Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Mm. It's one of the definitions is an indirect blow. But the second definition is an illegitimate child, and both of these work here. I'm sure Ragwile's feeling really proud of himself right now. I'm proud of him. That's it. Rattleshirt Rattleshirt ruins the moment, though. Ruins the joke. Doesn't get it. He's like, gut him. And then Egret's like, what the fuck, dude? He just yielded. That was the whole point. It's interesting that Egret. is the one that's like he
0: yielded, like you can't hurt him. He yielded, especially when she was just shown the mm-hmm. same mercy. A life for
1: life. That is actually also in Mulan. That one is not the waterfall, but they they pass like by. I don't know.
0: Someone even says that John slew his brother.
1: You know, kinslaying. You have all of those weird shades of it, right? You have Rob being accused of kinslaying, and he's like, dude, it's been like a long ass time, and here because John took those oaths, they're saying. That he's a kinslayer there, I don't know. and maybe later on he's also a kinslayer. I don't know. No, I think you
0: are onto something there. I think there's a lot of themes in this chapter that may just carry into Jon's resonance? especially after the end. Yes, some thematic resonance, especially after the end of the original <laughs> source material, Game of Thrones from HBO. Home box oh
1: office. shirt sure doesn't like that John is both a warg and a crow. He's like, I'm not about that you only get to be one <laughs> We gotta pick but everyone's all like I don't know if I had to vote someone off the island it's gonna be you battle shirt and they all decide John can stay yeah, John's yeah. Cool. and John's like wow the free folk are wild everyone just voted to let me stay <laughs> wow idiots this is
0: all going way to plan unfortunately all according to Kikaku. Some of the wood was still green and it burned slow and smoky, sending a black plume up into the bright hard blue of the sky.
1: This just like green and black and smoke, it kind of reminds me, um, especially because Vanessa Cole also tweeted- about the last episode, how much she enjoyed the Bale the Bard story, and that she thought it was interesting because the next chapter is where Sansa actually gets her moon blood and becomes capable of cherry- bearing children. That she always felt that the Bale the Bard story foreshadowed the Starkland continuing through Sansa, but that connection between Sansa and Jon's stories here towards the end of, end of Clash, with mm. that green wood and again, burning smoky stuff, and also remembering who you are, it kind of just reminds me of the Blackwater. And that wildfire against the night. And that is where Sansa is
0: right now. She is figuring out who she is and what she wants and what to choose and what to do. She has a lot of choice, just like John does here. Wow. Rattleshirt takes some bones, and then the others throw dice for the Ranger's gear. Egret wins Corrin's
1: cloak. Yes, and I thought that was just interesting that that was the language that they used because. I mean, Corrin lays down his life, right? He knew what the cost was and he laid it down so that John could live for that greater good, I guess. Self-sacrifice, which is definitely a thing that the story's exploring in the Bible. And this is actually in all four of the Gospels, which I think is quite remarkable. There are things that might be in like two of the Gospels, sometimes three, but Sometimes it's in all four of them, but this appears in all four of them. I'm only going to read the one from John, the Gospel of John, because I think that's funny for me personally. And it also has the most detail about the cloak. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be. That the scripture might be fulfilled, where saith, "They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots." These things, therefore, the soldiers did. So it's just another one of those religious references that ties into the larger thematics. Egret got the cloak, though. Which that leads a whole entire other symbolism
0: of marriage, obviously, which we will get into eventually in a storm of swords. His sacrifice is definitely what moves the story forward, right? Without Corin's death, John's story in A Storm of Swords would not exist. um John would not join the wildlings. John would probably die out in the cold. He'd probably just like be chewing some shadow cat meat, and then he'd like pass out, and he'd be like, "I'm so warm, ghost," and then he'd just die in the cold. Oh my god! So John is dreading taking the Skirling Pass once more. But Egret's like, no way, we can't go back right now. Like we're not going that way. We're in the milk water. Mance is busy marching up your wall. And there's this line The look she gave him was sad when he asks about the skirling pass. And to me, that is Egret's if we look back we are lost, John moment. Like, don't you understand what's behind us? The ice zombies are behind us. We can't go back now. We've left everything. We've left our belongings, we've left people that we lost, we've left our homes.
1: It's over. Yeah, I'm... this is a pilgrimage and he doesn't get it yet Not somehow yet. somehow, no one's pieced together that that's what they're trying to do
0: which I don't, it is so stupid because they're so close minded because it's like you guys have literally seen them you've seen the others, you've seen what they've done you see what they become, what people become when they die, ranging uh, they literally came south to come home to you guys and you're like oh wow we gotta kill these MRFers I don't, I don't know
1: yeah, I didn't think that's through.
0: We do get this line in John 8 that I feel like we need to just call out, especially with the end of Game of Thrones. Our honor means no more than our lives so long as the realm is safe. This represents so much. The shields that guard the realms of men as John keeps thinking to himself like he has to protect them. And also, is this is this foreshadowing? Is this points at butterfly? foreshadowing in the future for something that may happen that our honor means no more than our lives so long as the realm is safe look at ned look at what ned died for his honor meant no more than his life as long as the realm was safe
1: for them keeping the realm safe is honor yeah i did really love uh, this line and it's a little different and john in the show only agrees to being king in the north because He believes that it will be their best bet at keeping everyone safe, at keeping the realm safe. And he has that line. He's like, being your king was the honor of my life or something like that. I actually really liked that line. Aw. Aw,
0: because it is, though. It is the honor of his life. Like, it's, look at where he started. Look at John. Like, that's not what he thought he would have, ever. And it's nothing he wanted. It's everything he pushed away and said, no, I can't have that. I'm just a bastard. But then in the end, he got to have it, even just for a little while. But that taste of leadership sucks. He
1: turned to ashes in his mouth. Yeah,
0: or in front of him. Or blood in his porridge, who knows. Or blood in front of him. I'm wow. People. Wow. But- Of course, even though this is the last John chapter in A Clash of Kings, we wanted to do a quick lightning round of what we missed for the end of Clash of Kings, which, while our lightning round was very, very heavy in the beginning, this is a one-chapter lightning round. Eliana, can you lead us in? Yeah,
1: it's Bran 7. The stone is strong, Bran told himself the roots of the trees go deep and under the ground the kings of winter sit their thrones. So long as those remained, Winterfell remained. It was not dead, just broken. Like me, he thought. I'm not dead either.
0: Yeah, buddy! What a great quote to encompass the last bit of the book, right? Of a clash of kings, of the the calm before the storm of swords.
1: Wow! Well done! I'm on it! You episode, are on right? it! Wow. uh
0: yeah i I think that is a quote that encompasses the whole book that you know after we lose our protagonist after we lose honorable Ned, it's not dead, it's just broken yeah, it's a hopeful note it's uh it keeps you reading it keeps you hanging on and it I think it really shows the end of a clash of King's law. our heroes are all kind of broken, John is not. Not impartial to that. John is definitely mm-hmm. going to need some recovery emotionally because he just murdered Half Halfhand.
1: Yeah, and Very th- This is the Snape v. Dumbledore moment, right? This is it. He couldn't even kill a strange girl that he had never met, and now he had to just kill the guy who has kept him alive all of these past few days, who was his one of his heroes. You've raised him like a animal for slaughter just like I'm telling you Snape v Dumbledore. Same thing. There's that. There's also within the Sith, but like in a twisted other kind of good hopeful way. Wait, in other way? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Is Palpatine the Night King? Oh Is no, 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 Dar- yeah. no, that's that's right. He was Darth Maul, right? It's the same thing, right? Darth Maul and the Ice King? N- Night King. I don't King? know. They're all Whatever. the same. The Ice, Ice King, King. <laughs>
0: also from Frozen and
1: Darth Maul had a baby. Ice King Adventure Time? <laughs> Oh my god, Elsa's the Night Queen. Wow. We got real far, but let's talk about John's uh, Clash of Kings arc to take us out of here.
0: So this quote comes from the Idols of the King, Alfred, Lord Tennyson, uh, The Coming of Arthur. Sir, there be many rumors on this head, for, the, for there be those who hate him in their hearts, call him baseborn, and since his ways are sweet... And there's our bestial hold him less than man. And there be those who deem him more than man and dreamt he dropped mm. from heaven. I thought that was a really nice quote. Kind of just thinking on John's plot and all of the Arthurian themes in the story and the romanticism of it all. And also the uh, tragedy of it all and who he is as a character. It's a great quote. Thanks. I found it on my <laughs> Thanks own. I made
1: this. I, birthed Lord <laughs> Alfred Tennyson. Thanks, I birthed it. Yes,
0: I am Lord wow. Tennyson. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I know I'm so old. Uh, uh, sacrifice. That is the central theme, right? That is this chapter. That is this old man going out in winter, giving up mm. his life because only death can pay for life.
1: Damn, the honor! their honor guarding the realms of men. Yeah, wow, also that. Shit.
0: The honor guard of the realm. That's like a good name, the Honor Guard of the Realm. I love that, especially because you do get like an Honor Guard escorting Princess Elia Martell, or you know, yada yada, or
1: escorting Aemon up to the Wall.
0: Yeah. Yes. We talked about Arthur Dane a little bit last episode and some of the parallels between Corin and Arthur and why people have the tinfoil theories about Arthur being Corin, whatever, vice versa, uh, and why they're not real. However, why they hold any precedence online when you read a theory. And I wanted to have a few passages read here of different characters that sacrificed for John's plot, because John is very much so a child that was born out of sacrifice, born out of that unconditional love, born out of that dream that the future could be better, right? That dream to save the world. Uh, John is a prophecy baby. If you're listening to our podcast, we subscribe to the very canonical theory, because we are always going canon, of R plus L equals J. If you don't believe in it, it's fine, you're wrong. And I don't know why you're still here. I still respect you, but. You're here. It's your time. Yeah, it's your <laughs> life. Do what you want. <laughs> Do what you want. <laughs> so, regarding Arthur Dane. And these were no shadows. Their faces burned clear, even now. Sir Arthur Dane, the Sword of the Morning, had a sad smile on his lips. Uttered Ten, a Game of Thrones. Uh, as we discussed last episode, Arthur Dane and Ned, and as we discussed this episode, that Ned likely walked away feeling the same way as John felt about killing Corin Halfhand, right? That Corrin knew the whole time that this would happen, and Arthur probably knew he would have to face Ned Stark. I don't think either man in any of these scenarios ever thought they would have to kill the other or fight the other. And I think that Arthur Dane had the same feeling as corin did that they put their lives on the line for this right they already knew what this job encompassed they knew the job description they knew this could come someday and even in this chapter corin was ready to go he was like a light lighting a huge fire let him come down on me let him kill me this is it this is my grandstanding
1: yeah absolutely he's like this is the mission and we will all die just so that one of us can live and hopefully give the rest of the Night's Watch a fighting chance. He was pinning all of his hopes on John, and that was what it meant, I guess, for him to sacrifice. He wasn't asking for anything in return. Hey, but. Eliana, what is one bastard boy? Wow! Boom! Got you. Wow. Got him! We, we have him. brought it full circle more than once tonight. John is that bastard boy, right? Yeah.
0: Stannis asking that question is ridiculous because we know what one bastard boy is against all of these lives. It's everything. It is the shield that guards the realms of men. Yes. So another person who gave their life for john to have, you know, his own. Uh, only death can pay for life, and Lyanna Stark is obviously that person. And you even get it in the very first chapter of the book, non-believers. Wow. So <laughs> listen up, sinners promise me ned the fever had taken her strength and her voice had been faint as a whisper but when he gave her his word the fear had gone out of his sister's eyes ned remembered the way she had smiled then how tightly her fingers had clutched his as she gave up her hold on life the rose petals spilling from her palm dead and black after that he remembered nothing uttered one the game of thrones if anyone sacrificed, of course it was Lyanna. I'm sure she knew it was going to happen. Near the end, she was alone. Oh god, do you think about how alone Lyanna Stark was in that tower? Until Ned showed there up? There had to have been someone else there. I couldn't think of who, or what she would look like. They don't say, but like, the language when- If only somebody was having a kid around the same time.
1: Huh. Are you talking about Ray- Rayella? No, no, no. That's actually eight to nine months apart. As George yeah, just said, in the So Speak, Martin. Thanks, I
0: No, I was talking about Gianna Reed. Thanks. Oh, wow. Gianna Reed.
1: Because, you know, Mira
0: Reed was literally born around the same time as John. Just putting that out there. Um, The transgression of all of these people that sacrificed their lives, and not to go full youth, adult, like, young adult fiction on it, or fantasy on it, but you think about, what, Harry Potter in the Forbidden Forest, you know, holding the Stone of Resurrection, with all of these dead people are surrounding him saying, you've been so brave. Like it's us, all the people that died to get you to this moment, to defeat the dark Lord. And that's pretty much what you feel for John, right? Like that's his normal, that's the trope. That's the fantasy trope. He's the chosen one. He's the boy who lived. That's Jon Snow. But we see how this chapter especially is part of that first step of killing the boy and letting the man be born. As you reference with Amon's passage later on, uh, and he goes on in his chapters in A Dance with Dragons, a Daboda, respectively, <laughs> to think on Corin. Corin affects him. The world dissolved into a red mist. John stabbed and slashed and cut. He hacked down Donal Noy and gutted deaf Dick Follard. Corin half hand stumbled to his knees, trying in vain to staunch the flow of blood from his neck. I am the Lord of Winterfell, John screamed. John 12 A Dance with Dragons.
1: You can see all the guilt that John is feeling, and we'll talk about this a little later. But John has a lot of mixed feelings, and he doesn't really actually dwell on the guilt that he feels of all these people dying around him and for him to survive. It affects him, but he doesn't think of it that often, unlike Quentin. <laughs> Quentin Martell, who feels like he has to keep going in his story in Edelwada, that he has to win Daenerys over or at least get a dragon because he's like, why did my best friend die? Why did my maester die? Why did, like, the guy who was like my brother, you know? Why did they all die if not to get me here? And I can't go back empty-handed and I can't disappoint my dad and all of these people. And while John won't allow himself to dwell on that stuff –
0: he shows it in other ways, right? Like in A Dance with Dragons, he thinks, you know, Sam, he sent Sam away from the wall, away from him. He sent all these people away. He thinks, where's Ed? Where's Donald? Where's Sam? Where are all these people? They were the best. Where's, he thinks on how, like, you know, there are no men worth what Sam Tarly is. There's no men worth corn Halfhand here on this wall, but this is what I have to work with.
1: Yeah, maybe if he had kept Sam around. It was wow. a Wow,
0: Ned Junior. <laughs> it it does remind me a lot, you know, when he has that horrible dream when he screams, "I'm the Lord of Winterfell," and all this confusion over these vows, so many vows. They make you swear and swear. And yes. John is an exact product of this of this boy prodigy that joins, you know, a systemic penal colony, basically, and throws his life at it.
1: Yes, and yeah, he had to swear and swear, and there was a cost each time that he took a vow and swore it was always a choice, as is reflected in Jamie's storyline. And yeah, speaking of Quentin, like, A Clash of Kings is Jon's adventure stink, right? It begins with him crossing the Wall, that threshold into the other world, if you want to use hero's journey terminology. And... As he enters another one, he's also moving from one social space of the brothers of the Night's Watch into another one, the world of the Wildlings, and that's where Clash ends. And like, if a Game of Thrones centered around Jon forging connections and friendships with his brothers, a Clash of Kings was his transition into what is the meaning? What is the cost and the price of being part of this brotherhood? A Storm of Swords is gonna like be an introduction into yet another group that leads to him Becoming a stranger to the people who were his brothers, uh, his second family, in the first book. And if we take some things from the show about John's journey to be truth, this seems like part one of wrestling with your old groups and families, with John having to do this again later on in the story in the I don't know, Tiwau or Eidos, as he wrestles with learning that he's a Targaryen and understanding where his loyalties lie when it comes to the- them, or with his other family, the Starks, as he finds himself in a new relationship slash position to them at the end of a Storm of Swords as the Lord Commander. And like with Quentin, Jon ends up seeing the brothers that he went into the scrolling Pass with die around him, leaving him again alone alone in a group of strangers now amongst the wildlings but unlike quentin who actually didn't really have anyone to guide him through Essos and all of its unknowns because they kind of all died before they could do that um yeah john has obi-wan kenobi i mean corn half <laughs> yeah he has corn halfhand and like <laughs> Corrin Halfhand was great at introducing him into this world and taking him deeper into it, right? He's a transition from the men of the Night's Watch, people like Thor and Smallwood, who are like, we hate those wildlings. And Corrin, somehow, who has actually had to face the wildlings constantly and fight them all the time, is when he's telling John, like, they're actually not really different from us, by the way. But <laughs> They're we- just humans. Yeah, but we have to kill them anyway because of the wall and our honor. And John's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> And then he, instead of killing wildlings, ends up having to kill his brother, Corrin Halfhand. So I mean, yeah, they're really not that different, right, Corin? I don't know. Yeah, and it's just like
0: they said, all men die. Yeah. Is it fair for Corin to really choose? You know, this is your path, John. I need you to do this. Like, was this Corin just delegating his tasks as a man of the Night's Watch? Was this him going rogue? Or was this him being completely unfair to John for just choosing his path? At the same time, John really didn't have a huge chance of survival. Just saying. Mhm. Yeah, he has a wild ass wolf who's huge and wonderful and fluffy and a good boy, but uh that
1: obviously helped
0: him against
1: Corin. Right, but as Corin tells John at the beginning of the chapter, he's like what ends up happening to you from here on out actually might be a lot harder than death. I can't imagine that
0: kinslaying could be easier, huh? Wow. The first
1: time or the second?
0: Nor. Nor the second. Nope. Maybe third. Maybe it feels awful. Wow. No, we don't know. I'm just kidding. Wow. <laughs> I was recently rereading Stephen Adderwell's, uh John Eight: a Clash of Kings analysis over at Race for the Iron Throne. And he actually had this little segment where he talks about Korin, and he says that his first name and his Battleborn nickname suggest he was Ironborn and his skill with the sword suggests he was born into a martial castle on the islands. Beyond these mere scraps, we know nothing about Korin beyond his duty. Uh, and sure enough, in the world of Ice and Fire during kind of Aegon's conquest, we learn about someone named Korin Valmark. He was a minor lord in House Harlaw. He was the first man to claim the kingship after Aegon began conquesting, and of course Aegon and his sisters kind of like went, eh, we don't care about the Iron Islands, like let them be them, they'll figure <laughs> it out. Uh, Corrin's grandmother had been a younger sister of Harwin Hardhand. Ah. Huh. Interestingly enough, and on the basis of that tie, Volmark declared himself the rightful heir of the Black Line, which was at the time the, uh, line of the people on the, the salt throne. Interesting. Are you not gonna respond to the Salt Throne?
1: What 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 am I supposed to say? The
0: Seastone chair. Oh. Oh my god. But yes, yeah, so I thought the, the black line and the Corin Volmark and the Harwin hard hand, that whole passage of screaming George going, ho, this is what I was thinking about corin's backstory one time, but then I'm just gonna put it in another story because I don't have time.
1: Yes. And I mean maybe maybe there was a woman there right? Maybe he had a salt hmm. wife that he I loved. I he
0: did have a salt wife, salt wife. Maybe not salt. I don't know. I hope that Corin Bullmark was very respectful.
1: It's also funny, like we hear the story of how he lost his fingers, but if he comes from the Iron Islands, apparently this was just a safety risk of growing up there anyway. You know, you might be like, out. Right, like what? Uragon, Right. I don't know, but everyone, they just decide to play these stupid drinking games. Their drinking games are very risky, where they throw axes at each other. And, like, this was apparently just a normal, everyday risk, being an ironborn.
0: Uragon and Aaron, uh, they played the finger dance together. It's called the finger dance. And Aaron threw an axe that shaved off part of his hand. And they tried to sew his fingers back on (laughs) instead of treating the amputation, because the ironborn are brilliant. Uragon's hand became infected and they amputated his whole arm but it was too late and then he died at age 14 and that was Urigan Greyjoy Yuri Greyjoy, uh, Lady Sunderly and Lord Quellen's son Uh, I love that this chapter gave us these last hero vibes, I feel like we're going to talk about that a lot in the chapters to come Mm. in A Storm of Swords and then A a Doubada, A Dance of Dragons Yeah, trying to bring that back, it's been a few episodes you know, but I think that's a wrap for today we covered a lot, I feel like We're ready to move on to A Storm of Swords. Are you ready to move on to A Storm of Swords, Eliana?
1: Oh my god, I've been ready. I've been so ready. I mean, like, I loved these class chapters. They were amazing, but, like... It's time. I mean, John probably doesn't think that it's time. He's like, what the fuck just happened? But all of us, we're like, it's time. You know, but we do, because we want him to go home, and then we want him to kill the man. (laughs) Wait, Wait, he he, he just killed, killed the, the man.
0: He just God, killed Amen. the man, We want him to Chloe. stop killing the man and we want him to go back to Night's Watch and I want him to kill the boy. Oh, man. Hopefully not, um... Aemon Steel song? Yeah. God, I'm worried for that boy. I worry about him all the time. I wake up and I pray to the seven. I pray to the old gods. I pray to I, No, no. Because like, R'hllor's gonna be like, yeah, give me, give me. Yeah, you're right, you're right. I'm like, no, <laughs> we pray to the great other. Oh my God, so... You guys, thank you for listening. Next week we are starting a Storm of Swords yes. with John. So specifically, as you know how we roll, that means we are reading only John as Storm of Swords, and there is a lot to read. We have a great romance ahead of us, so I'm excited for that. I'm gonna be very gooey about that.
1: Yeah, it's oh man, we're gonna feel so many feelings in a moment. <sighs> we're gonna hold each other I'm sodding. excited. We we were having our last laughs here for some reason, laughing about Corinne Half Hand dying. Uh, this is how we deal with grief
0: you can find us on the internet you can subscribe to us at many places at the podcasts of many places (laughs) you can find us on itunes on spotify on acast on stitcher on google
1: play on podbean where we're hosted (laughs) And, of course, don't forget to subscribe to us on social media. You can find us at Girls Gone Canon over on Twitter, or you can shoot us an email over on girlsgonecanon Uh at gmail.com. On our social media, you'll find us retweeting and sharing some of this fan art that people have shared with us that maybe you too would like to share with us.
0: Yeah, we retweet a lot of stuff. Give us a tweet, give us a DM, give us an email. And if you're feeling like you want to message us on a different platform, you can always check out Patreon. Patrons get a few special perks. We're working on a stretch goal for patrons right now, a Feast for Feasts, where we will do a live stream of us making food and also talking about a Feast for Crows. So check that out. Patreon.com.
1: Girls Gone Cannon. Two chefs enter, one chef leaves. <laughs> as I stab. Okay. And and of course, everyone, that that's it. That's our show. I have been one of your hosts, Eliana, also known as Glass Table Girl. And I am one of your other hosts, Chloe
0: in Arbor and Lysen Arbor Gold, signing off. That was weird. We should never
1: do that. That was weird. That was All really right, weird. goodbye.